Chris Gosser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to discuss the latest Ryan Reynolds summer blockbuster epic, Free Guy. And then our Samurai Marathon continues with Zatochi. Well, I should say the tale of Zatochi, one of the longest running film series ever, I guess, right? So uh, we're going to check out the first entry in that one, and then we'll tell you what's coming up in your physical media, featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then finally, Matt and I are going to close out the show with a return of What Are the Odds? So let's start everything off, though, with a clip from Free Guy. Seriously, man. I'm just being honest. I think the bunny suit is just a little much. Excuse me? Right. Rabbit, okay? My fault. Hey, 40-year-old virgin! Get over here! Let's go. Uh-huh. Captain Khakis, come here. Go, let's go. Come on, bud. Closer. There he is. Blue shirt guy. Blue shirt? Yes. Hello, officer. Rabbit? Nice skin. Thank you. That's sweet. How'd you get it? Well, uh, mostly genetics, I think. I'm pretty lucky. I have I have naturally dewy skin. Listen up, Neutrogena. You know you can't go around looking like that. The rules are clear. And another thing, you can't hack the NPC avatars. No, sir! It screws up the mission load, Screws and it up. makes the game look bad. Horrible! Yeah. I got like 5% of that. Lose the skin! I lose, how am I supposed to get rid of my skin? All right, black shirt guy. Why don't you tell the fine folks at home uh, what is free guy all about? Well, blue shirt guy, um, I it's basically about a an online game. Ryan Reynolds plays a a as you heard an NPC in that game who somehow manages to gain sentience and discovers that there's more to his world than uh, meets the eye. Fantastic. So, how do you feel? Did you go to? The, I mean, you didn't. You didn't have a choice, right? So you ventured out into theaters to go see mm-hmm. Free Guy. Now, I know I sound horrible, but you you are in fine tip-top health, so congratulations on you. Was this worth venturing out into the COVID wastelands? Did you enjoy watching The Free Guy, or do you think you would have been fine if you just waited for this to hit your uh, streaming platforms? I mean, I guess that's two different questions, I guess. Yeah, I had a good time. I thought it was a, a, I was surprised at how much I liked it, but I would have been completely fine waiting till it came out on hbo max or disney plus or whatever the first one it's going to is yeah i guess it'll be disney right it's a 20th century film so yeah i was reading about it i guess though the reason they couldn't put it on premiere access was because there was a pre-existing agreement with hbo that runs through the beginning of 2022 so i think it actually may end up going to hbo max before it goes to disney sweet so denis villanueva would not have been happy than um, if you had stayed home to watch this film. So you enjoyed it, Matt. You were surprised by how much you enjoyed it? Yeah, I didn't have high hopes for it. I didn't think it was going to be particularly good. But I thought, you know, I mean, it was it was cute. It had some really funny scenes. It had some fun cameos. It had a bunch of nerd references, especially toward the end that maybe have gotten a little too, too little, a little too heavy handed. But at the same time, you know what? It was, it was, um, it was fun. I mean, it brought along the Ryan Reynolds charm and it wasn't um, overdone or anything like that. Yeah, the film really does, I think, you know, prop itself up on Ryan Reynolds's, um just, I'm sorry, but 
mega wattage charisma. I mean, he's one of those guys in Hollywood where you just like him. I don't know what it is. You know, he's got that as a French say, I don't know what. But the uh, there's something about him. You know, you just want to hang out with him. He's one of those guys. Now, sometimes some films can go a little far in that. And you can kind of be like, all right, that's that's we're good. That's enough. That's enough. Right. And there's like the Hitman's wife's bodyguard. All right. Where he really kind of, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He hams it up in that one a lot. And that one, it's just annoying. And I think that's more, though, due to the really poor script of that film and where it's basically just clearly just a cash grab. But with this one, too, I was not walking into this thing with a lot of confidence. I mean, Sean Levy, who has given us a Night at the Museum films, which I have seen nary a one. Have you seen any of those? I'm assuming with a kid you have. No. No, I haven't. I haven't. No, I haven't. Good for you. So um, I haven't been I haven't been super bowled over. I think Real Steel he did with Hugh Jackman was actually pretty entertaining. Much more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. And now I'd slot this in with that. I, it, I think this is surprisingly good. There are some subtle and I think smart messaging in here about the Gamergate community as well. And uh, toxic masculinity. I think he does a, a really interesting thing with that. And it's not overbearing. I think it's just these little touches about stuff like that like that, that I thought was well done. And it's just fun. And now I will say I think it's a bubblegum ice cream pop electric kind of movie where I don't think we're going to be thinking about Free Guy in the next two to three years. You know, but... There are some fun ideas in this thing, and they work really well. It's slight, but it's entertaining. And I actually had a lot of fun watching this thing, and I think it's worth checking out. Uh, Absolutely. Disney, he stated, again, Reynolds stated that Disney has reached out to him and said they're interested in doing a second film. So we'll have to see what the continuing adventures of um, Blue Shirt Guy are going to be. But... You know, it's it costs about 100, 125 mil to make, made about 53.8, it's about 54. Pandemic prices, I think that's reasonable. Like, how do you measure a film's success in our current world, well, right? I think the I think the the real key so far, if if basically the performance of Black Widow and Suicide uh, the Suicide Squad are any indication, really, it'll be what kind of drop off do you get next weekend or this weekend. Um, mm-hmm to really determine how much of a success it is because both of those films opened pretty well, but then they went off the edge of a cliff after the first weekend. Well, I think that's what it is. I'm wondering if there's a lot of people who are still love going to the theater, but mm-hmm. all of the normies out there, right? Just don't think mm-hmm. still it's worth the risk. So all you're getting, I think is those dedicated audiences, but it, I think it has a shot. Cause I got to tell you next week, and we're going to have to talk about this. I don't know if there's there's three new films coming out, Matt, next week. None of them have really captured my imagination. There's okay. Reminiscence. That's the Hugh Jackman sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's The Protégé with Maggie mm-hmm. Q and Michael mm-hmm. Keaton, and which, of course, looks like it's another just John Wick also ran. And then there's yeah. um, is it Rebecca Hall and The Night House, which I think is the one I'm leaning towards. But... Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's the one I would be leaning towards too. But Reminisce, I believe, is going to be an HBO Max release, so we wouldn't have to leave the house. Oh, look at that. Reminiscence, I think it is. Reminiscence, too. excuse me. It's and it's got Rebecca Ferguson in it, which I'm a fan of. That's true. It does have her as well. But I like Michael Keaton. See, each one of them have elements of things <laughs> that I enjoy. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'll have to figure that out. 
there's a lot happening in Free Guy, I think. And I think at times it may be a bit much. But I think he, that that Levy does a good job of keeping all of his balls in the air, right? He's juggling these things and everything kind of works and it never really, um, really just collapses underneath its own weight. I think just barely. I think it's a bit of a tight wire work with a lot of the stuff we're trying to introduce in this thing. But, you know, the whole AI, what it means to be alive stuff, right? You know, there's, I mean, there's a ton of stuff in here. But I think it works. It mostly works. Maybe the cameos may have felt a little rushed at the end. Though, from what I understand, there's other ones throughout. Like the first person that Molotov girl talks to to get the secret key file thing. That's Hugh Jackman. It was voicing Oh, him. was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. And there's a lot of people kind of filtered in like that who do uh, voices that I guess are friends of Reynolds that he called in to do the, this voice work. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And then, of course, you have... You know, the Tates, who has a large role yeah. in it as well. Yeah, I was I was I was happy to see uh, Channing Tatum doing his Channing Tatum thing, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And I liked, um, you know, I thought Taika Waititi was pretty fun in this. I mm-hmm. thought uh, Joe Keery from Stranger Things, especially at least in the beginning, I thought it was hilarious. Him as the cop with the mustache, you know, doing yeah. the, the mannerisms in the beginning is pretty funny. So I don't know. I, I thought the 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 kind of periphery. Actors in this were pretty good as well. Yeah, same props for Lil Rel Howlery. I think again is very entertaining. Mm-hmm. It's very well cast. It's it's well done. And White Teacher, from what I understand, improvised a lot of his stuff. Most of it, I think, works. And he does kind of yeah. have this outsized, kind of super ridiculous presence in the film, which is uh, pretty entertaining and fun. So, and of course, you get Alex Trebek pops up, which is a little sad middle moment. I guess Dwayne Johnson, Rock, is in this, is one of the bank robbers. Is he? Uh, John Krasinski is in this as well. So, yeah, there's a little... They, they just do voiceover stuff in some of the uh, other characters. So if you can spot them, folks, when you watch Free Guy, if you can... Uh, like I do when I watch the car commercials, when I try and figure out who the uh, actor is you know, you doing go. the voiceover work. You can do that with Free Guy as well. So I guess, Matt, we kind of agree. Entertaining, funny, kind of slight... And, uh, but overall, I think definitely worth the, uh, hour and 45 hour, 50 minutes there of your time. I ended up giving a free guy a B. Yeah, me too. I think, um, I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, I think it's a good solid B film and I think this will have a long, long life running in, you know, Sunday afternoons on FX and, and TBS. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're right. This could definitely be one of those type of films that just runs forever. Good times. If you had a chance to see for you guys, shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. Matt, coming up in physical media this upcoming Tuesday, August 24th. Here is, I think I've only seen one in this series of films coming out as a box set from Shout Factory. And it's the one this clip is from, but I haven't seen it probably since it was out in the theaters. That's how long ago it was. So I'm wondering how familiar you are with this series. You. Me. Welcome home. How do you like it? Where'd you go? It's been five months. What do you think? You're my only client? I'm running a big operation with a big overhead. I need tenants to have to foment racial tension, pestilence, famine, war. It's fun, but I'm pooped. How can you? Don't say it. How can I? Don't I have any feelings? That's right. Listen, if I didn't exist, God would have had to make me up. I make them look good. 
Matt, have you ever seen any of the uh, Oh God films? I have not seen any of the Oh God films. So back in the day, George Burns did a series of films where he played God. The first one was John Denver. The second one was with, oh, I can't blank it on the guy's name. I think he was starting House 2. And um, it's not Airy Gross, is it? And then, oh, God, you devil, which is the third in the series where he plays a dual roles, where he plays God and the devil, which is the one I've actually seen. So Shot Factory is releasing a set of all three films with new audio commentaries for each film. Um, the first one was directed by Carl Reiner. So it's supposed to be pretty good. Like I said, I've never seen it, nor has Matt given his shameful admission. Also coming up on the 24th of August, really a, a disappointing film, Matt, and that is Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, the third official Warren film in the Conjuring series, and just a massive, massive letdown. Though, uh, if you're interested, I think Amazon right now, you can get all three films for 30 bucks on Blu-ray in a, in a set if you don't own any of them, which I think I'd, I'd pull the trigger on that if I didn't have any of them. Uh, I know I enjoyed the first two. Matt, I think you're just a fan of the first one, basically, right? And the second one was a little underwhelming for you? That's true, yeah. There you go. There's some uh, making of featurettes on the film, and it includes a digital preview video of, I guess, a new DC comic book series uh, based on The Conjuring. So there you go. Peter Rabbit 2, which is supposed to be a pretty entertaining children's franchise, from what I understand, is getting released. Uh, Thomas and B are now married, living with Peter and his rabbit family. Bored of life in the garden, Peter goes to the big city where he meets shady characters and ends up creating chaos for the whole family. Harvey Keitel stars as Meyer Lansky in Lansky, also featuring Sam Worthington. Good to see what Sam's been up to. Bella Thorne and Gavin Rossdale. Tell me that's not a film you're desperate to see and have it. Definitely. Oh, yeah. A street smart party girl gets mixed up in a violent drug deal and finds a possible way out by masquerading as a nun. So there you go, Bella. Uh, Welcome USA is releasing The Fatal Raid. Fast forward 20 years as surviving team members of Madame Fong lead a new squad in the pursuit of reckless young anarchists terrorizing Macau. An apparition from that fatal day falls into the fray, bringing everything full circle for a serpentine and explosive final confrontation. I'll get there, folks. It's the uh, all the cold medicine. You should be happy. I'm even conscious right now. Includes an English audio track and then a Cantonese audio track with English subtitles. Shot Factory is releasing Dream Builders. Mina, a young girl, misuses her newfound ability to create and control other people's dreams to teach her bothersome stepsister a lesson. Kino is releasing Beginning. In a sleeper provincial town, a Jehovah's Witness community is attacked by an extremist group. In the midst of this conflict, Matt, the familiar world of Yana, the wife of the community leader, slowly crumbles. Yana's inner discontent grows as she struggles to make sense of her desires. How it ends... Featuring Olivia Wilde, Helen Hunt, and Finn Wolfhard. On the last day on Earth, one woman goes on a journey through L.A. to make it to her last party before the world ends, running into an eclectic cast of characters along the way. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing the Polish film Ashes and Diamonds. Machik, Masiek, Machik, a young resistance fighter, is called to kill Suzuka, a communist district leader on the last day of World War II. A brand new 4K restoration of the film, audio commentary from 2004, a new video essay, new interviews, and more. Arrow is releasing Dario Argento's second film, Cat of Nine Tales. Matt, this is a UHD 4K release. 1,500 copies of it will have featured the original artwork as a slipcase. 
starring James Franciscus, Carl Malden, and Catherine Spock. A reporter and a retired blind journalist try to solve a series of killings, and in so doing, both become targets of the killer. As we said, it's a brand new 4K restoration from the original negative, audio commentaries, interviews, a uh, illustrated collector's booklet, six double-sided poster cards representing the original lobby cards from back in the day, and more. Severin, Severin of all studios, is releasing Overboard. This is the uh, Kurt Russell Goldie Hawn film. And a brand new 2K restoration of that. And one of the funny things I heard about this, I was watching one of the Sunday videos that Grindhouse Video does. Uh, and they said they'd spoken to the guy who guys runs Severin. And he says, let me put it this way. Don't bid on films while you're drunk. So that's how Severin ended up releasing Overboard. They're also releasing The Cannibal Man. A young man working as a butcher accidentally kills a taxi driver. His girlfriend wants to go to the police, so he has to kill her too. He then has to kill his brother, his brother's fiancé, and his father, who have become suspicious. He gets rid of the bodies by taking them to the butchery. Two fully remastered cuts of the film, the extended version known as Week of the Killer from uh, about 107 minutes, and the international version known as The Cannibal Man at 98 minutes. A couple making of featurettes and some deleted scenes as well. Severin is also releasing No One Heard the Scream. A high-class call girl witnesses her neighbor disposing of his wife's body. The man kidnaps her and forces her to help him, and an unexpected relationship develops. Remastered from the original camera negative, and an interview with film scholar Dr. Andy Willis about the Spanish giallo genre. Severin also continues down this vein with Eloy de la Iglesias' Kinky Collection. It's a brutal subgenre of juvenile gang dramas produced in the 70s and 80s in Spain. But for Basque writer director Eloy de la Iglesia, these three cine kinky, I think it's pronounced kinky, kinky, classics would become the most successful, controversial, and tragically defining films of his entire career. Includes Navajeros, El Pico, and El Pico 2, newly remastered from the original camera negatives. And they have a couple new interviews, and one of them features a uh, making of kind of panel. Unearthed Films is releasing Evil Dead Trap. A TV station employee takes a camera crew out to a abandoned factory to investigate a purported snuff film that, and, uh, that was made at that factory. And things go horrible as she gets closer and closer to the truth, perhaps becoming a subject to a brutal nightmare. Brand new 4K scan of that. First time in Blu-ray as well. Audio commentaries included as well. Scream Factory Matt is releasing a return to Salem's Lot. The sequel to the OG TV movie. I started to watch this because I think it was on HBO Max. I got about a half an hour in and I'd never finished it. Have you seen any of the Salem's Lot movies? I saw, I watched the original TV movie not too long ago. I mean, for what it is, an 80s TV movie, it wasn't terrible. But I haven't seen the sequel. There you go. Warner Archive is releasing Sidney Lumet's Prince of the City. Featuring Treat Williams, Jerry Orbach, and Bob Balaban. A New York City narcotics detective reluctantly agrees to cooperate with a special commission investigating police corruption. However, he soon discovers that he's in over his head, and nobody can be trusted. I'm always up for more Cindy Lamette on Blu-ray, I'll tell you that. Arrow is also releasing The Blind Beast, billed as a masterpiece of erotic horror. A blind sculptor and his mother kidnap a young model. High-definition Blu-ray presentation and brand-new audio commentary, newly filmed introductions, uh, and more. 
Kino Lorber is releasing a bunch of films. Thoroughly Modern Millie featuring Julie Andrews is coming out. Also, Mary Tyler Moore and John Gavin in that one. Brand new 4K restoration. They're also releasing What's So Bad About Feeling Good featuring George Papard and Mary Tyler Moore. Brand new 2K restoration. Moment by Moment. One year after Saturday Night Fever, John Travolta starred in this love story between a young drifter and an older woman played by Lily Tomlin. Brand new audio commentary featured on that one. Kino is also releasing The Clockmaker of St. Paul. And Viva, Anna Biller's film about two suburban couples that experiment with sex drugs in Bohemia in early 1970s L.A. We all are big fans of Anna Biller, right, Matt? With Remember The Love Witch? Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Thank you for reminding me who that is. Yeah. I like The Love Witch. <laughs> it's a weird, fun film. MVD is releasing One Dark Night featuring Meg Tilly. As part of initiation to a club called The Sisters, a young girl must spend the night in a mausoleum. They're also releasing The Dark. An alien mutilator stalks and kills humans during the night. Audio commentary on that one by the producer and director. Some new interviews, an isolated score track, and more. Code Red is releasing Guyana Cult of the Damned, which is a film basically about uh, Jim Jones and the uh, cult massacre there. Brand new 2K Master featured on that one. And then, Matt, your straight-to-DVD pick of the week is Death Rink. The night staff of a roller rink are stalked and killed by a mysterious figure who they believe may be the spirit of a teenager who has accidentally killed their years before. What should we be streaming this week? Well, just in time for the second episode on Disney+, Plus, they continued their run of Marvel properties um, and TV shows. This one with an animated version of What If, one of my favorite comics when I was a kid, basically presents the scenarios of what if something happened or some difference in the MCU changed and what that would look like. The first episode was what if Peggy Carter had become Captain Carter instead of Steve Rogers being Captain America. And the second uh, one that's out today is what if T'Challa had been kidnapped and was actually became Star-Lord. Have you seen the Captain Carter one yet? I have seen the Captain Carter one yet. Yes. How is it? It's pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's, it's, a fun little exercise. It's a lot less serious. Um, it doesn't obviously have the kind of weight that some of the other stuff has from the the live action shows, but I, I enjoyed it. It's a, especially for a kind of fun little diversion. And I'm I knew these these two scenarios were coming, so I'm really curious to see what the rest of the scenarios are because I haven't really talked about what those are. Mm. I always loved that What If series, both of them. I think they ran two volumes of that, I believe. But I always enjoyed those fun little one-offs. What would have happened if this or that? That's cool. I got to catch up with that. Good times. All right, Matt. Let's go ahead and transition then into the second film in our Samurai Marathon. Is it the second film? Third. Third. I was going to say. I knew that didn't sound right. Man, I got to take more medicine. Let's spend a few minutes and talk about the tale of Zatoichi. お前さんの話じゃ、さすがの老人とこの位置を噛み合わせりゃ面白いとか言ってました。断ってきますけどね。位置の命はそう安くあれねえよ。やろう。好きなことは昔にあって。so, Matt, last week I had mentioned that uh, Tamisabara Wakayama was also in Zatoichi, and 
I have no idea where the hell I pulled that from. I thought I read that online someplace, mm. but it clearly well, isn't correct, right? Well, there there are twenty six Satoichis, so maybe you got confused somewhere along the way. That's true. Maybe he pops up in one of them. Yeah, it could very well be. So this time we're going to start everything off though with the first film in the series, the tale of Zadoichi and uh, Shintaro Katsu plays Zadoichi or Ichi as he's affectionately referred to as throughout the film. But he is a blind Masor man who is due to his lack of sight. He does not want to look, he doesn't want to be looked down upon by people and he wants to be honored and accepted. So he basically teaches himself to become a master swordsman and he is lightning quick with his sword. He comes up to visit this gentleman named Sukugoro, who they had met previously at some other event. And Sukugoro asks him, basically hires him because they are preparing for war against a rival Yakuza clan who have hired their own samurai to represent their side. And Matt, one thing that I was really not expecting with this film is the long just dearths of action. There's lots of talking, lots of sitting around, and lots of exposition, basically, and in illustrations of who Zedoichi is and what he represents, more so than, like, last week, Shogun Assassin, we basically didn't have 30 seconds without somebody getting cut down. This time, we go 35 minutes before something even happens, action-wise. Right. Right. What are your thoughts of the tale of Zadoichi? I think we like to say on the show, much more deliberately paced. Um, so there is, based off of the first two films we saw, they this one is not that. And it's interesting that these, I forget the phrase in Japanese, but these samurai films are actually called some, like a genre that translates into period piece or period films. And this mm. seems much more like what you would expect if you said a period film in the terms of like American cinema or British cinema or something like that, where it's like uh, kind of like a, a more rumination on what the past was like and not necessarily a lot of action necessarily. And yeah, this is much, much different. And it's a lot earlier. I mean, this was made in 1962. It's pretty early, you know, probably still in, in Japanese cinema. Um, and it's just got a much different sensibility than the kind of hack and slash that we saw in the last two films. Absolutely. I mean, the film is really focused on showing us Zadoichi's humanity, right? The action is sparse. Though when it does happen, I think it's well choreographed and it's interesting. Though it may be a little underwhelming considering the kind of films we've come off, we just recently saw. These scenes are kind of brief. Uh, there's not a lot of intensity to them, per se. But I, I did enjoy these slower, contemplative moments, which from what I understand are kind of the hallmark of the series, is the focus on Zedoichi's humanity uh, and how he is generally kind of a good-natured guy, just a guy trying to get along, but he's at peace. And he just kind of gets sucked into these type of um, events. So, and one thing that I think the film isn't quite as successful is, is with all the talk we have with the characters, there's this side storyline involving one of the gang members who will say dispatches of a mistress. And it's kind of leads up the build, I guess, that this guy is, can't be trusted, right? And he has this final climactic interaction with Zetoichi at the end that just kind of felt, again, anticlimactic for me, right? And I, I'm not... 
I guess it's supposed to have some big import that maybe it just was lost on me. I just don't think that it has the impact that the director Kenji Musimi was really going for. Uh, I don't know. Did it feel like filler to you, or would it is it like an integral yeah, part of the story? I don't know if I mean the entire side part about the about I forget the character's name or just the kind of thing that happens at the end. I would say the whole thing with this guy. I think the idea is that it's it's supposed to kind of contrast like this someone without honor, without any kind of humanity, or mm-hmm. at least he's more concerned about himself than other people, um, and kind of juxtapose him with Zadoichi, especially since these guys are supposed to be Yakuza. So these are criminals for lack of a better term, right? These are exactly. not like these are not like shogun type thing. And Zadoichi's portrayed as you know, this kind of reluctant mercenary kind of thing. So, but he's Yakuza as well. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He, he says that he's a, you know, he's, he's Yakuza. So, um, yeah, I, I think that was important to have there. I just don't know how I can see what they were trying to do, but I'm with you. I don't know how successful it is. Um, as far as what was presented on screen. I do like the fact that he kind of just dispatches him and he's like, and he's like oh, must not have been somebody of importance or something like that, right? Yeah, and then like and smash cut the end. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and I do appreciate the um, that that one shot. I mean, there's a couple really gorgeous shots in this film with the uh, when he does fight the other samurai on the bridge. And I think there's a way to, to even the odds a bit with is that, a, is that a, excuse me. That it, that Tichi, it's, it's the medication is really tripping me up right now. <laughs> By being on the bridge over the rushing water, you're you're hampering one of his advantages, I think, with his, you know, hearing, I think. But he's still able to obviously hold his own. But that's a great shot. And then there's another shot, too, where the uh, woman who has pledged her love to him and will endure all hardships to be with him. And he's like, you don't want this kind of life, you know. Uh, and he takes the more difficult road to avoid her as she's waiting for him. And then they, as he comes up through this wooded, heavily wooded area, and then we see her in the distance through the branches. You know, another nice, really powerful little moment as well that I think is done exceptionally well done. So overall, I think I, I enjoyed the tale of Zatoichi. I, you know, I think it's an interesting and fun experience. But as I said, it's it, the film's more about him and his humanity and his honor than it is an action movie really and if you go into it kind of with that mindset i think you'll really enjoy this i ended up giving the tale of zetoichi a a b yeah it was a little slow for me i you know obviously it's probably in such a large body of cinema that's out there there's a lot of different things that these things could go, but kind of coming off of Sword of Doom and Shogun Assassin, right? I was looking at something a little more, um, you know, a little more blue, something more akin to like a kind of hack and slash action or kind of thing. And that's not what I got. I think there are parts of this that I do really like, but I think for me, it dragged a little too much in places. So I'm going to give it a B minus. Okay. I think that's entirely fair. I, I I can't really disagree with any of your assessment there. I think that's all accurate. So, but you're right. After the you know just the lit stick of dynamite that is in your hands of Sword of Doom, and then uh, Shogun Assassin, which by the way the Shogun Assassin soundtrack is on iTunes for like eight bucks. Oh, I'm nice. seriously thinking about buying that. Just do it. So, uh, yeah, uh, 
The Tale of Zenoichi, as well as the entire series, is available on the Criterion channel right now. So if you're a member, you can watch it today. If you had a chance to see it, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. I'm looking forward still to the marathon, Matt. I mean, I've really been enjoying this. I think one of the most interesting things about this for me, for the marathon, is I've missed doing marathons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think so. It, it's reignited that uh, in me. So uh, next week we're supposed to do uh, you get to. Yeah, Ugetsu. I'm not Ugetsu? sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah. So it was when we were supposed to be doing Candyman, but uh, this week too. But I guess that that has gotten pushed back. So yeah, but only a week though. Only pushed back a week. So there you go. Good times. We got to update the calendar. All right, folks. Let's close it out. And here's a uh, a clip from something germane to one of my what are the odds questions for Matt. I hope you don't mind me taking the liberty. I was careful not to. Drag in any dirt. I don't mind the dirt. I do mind an announced visits. You police. Are you Sapper Morton? Civic number NK68514. I'm a farmer. I saw that. What do you farm? Just for me. Garlic. Garlic. Go on, Teresa. No, thank you. I prefer to keep an empty stomach until the hard part of the day is done. Of course, that is a clip from Blade Runner 2049 featuring uh, um, Ryan Gosling and Dave Bautista, who in a small role is really just fantastic. And, uh, of course, directed by Denis Villeneuve, Matt. So here's my first word of the odds for you. Denis recently had stated about his film also being on HBO Max. The enemy of cinema is the pandemic. I understand that the cinema industry is under tremendous pressure. That I get. The way it happened, I'm still not happy. Frankly, to watch Dune on a TV is like driving a speedboat in a bathtub. So he is not pleased with his HBO Max day and day release. So Matt, what are the odds Dune breaks even? Its budget is 165 million, which I don't know if I believe, but that's what's listed on Wikipedia. So say we go with that number. What are the odds Dune breaks even with its global box office? You think Dune costs more to make? I think so. I would think. What did Blade Runner 2049 run? I mean, that thing had to be 200, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Let's take a look. I don't know. I think it was under 200, but maybe close. I want to say like 185 for some reason. I should watch that again. I know. I just bought it on 4K. 150 to 185. Look at you. Yeah. All right. Um, Yeah. See, I'm nervous. So, like, what's interesting is... You know, in the nerd circles that I travel, people are excited for this film. And then especially even people who are not familiar with the source material, like they're not huge Dune fans are excited for this. So I'm hoping that's some of it. But 
again, like you said with Free Guy, are the normies going to come out and see this, right? Are the normal, sane people going to stay inside, avoid the Delta variant for kind of like this super dense, probably much very visually stunning, but kind of obscure, um, kind of cultish sci-fi series? And I, I don't know. Um, I'm going to go see it in theaters, but I, I don't, I don't think it's going to break even unless you count, unless it somehow manages to bring a bunch of HBO max subscribers, which is obviously part of the strategy here. But I mean, they've been doing it all year, so I can't imagine how many more subscribers they are going to get, you know, should they premiere access it like Disney does? Would you pay? I know you're going to see it in the theater, but what would you, would you pay 20 bucks? You think to be able to stay at home and watch it if you were so inclined? If Disney's it was between, 30, right? If it was between, like, not going to the theater and just not watching it, like, if it's not on streaming, I'm not watching it. Yeah, I would pay twenty bucks to see it. I don't think I would pay the Disney price of thirty bucks. That gives me a lot of pause. Like, I just won't do that. I would just rather just wait. Um, but what's interesting, though, yeah, and maybe we'll talk about it in one of my other questions. Well, I'll save it, but. Yeah, I don't. I have a bad feeling about this movie. I feel like I'm going to love it. And I think it's going to be awesome to watch, and I can't wait to go see it in the theater. And it's one of the very few movies left this year that I can actually say that. But yeah, I don't. I don't have. I don't have a lot of confidence in how it's going to do financially. So give me a number. What are the odds? I'm going to say there's a 35 percent chance it breaks even. That's high. I don't. I just with the way everything's been running. And things are only just getting worse. I just, I can't imagine, you know, that, that we're going to get, let's see how we're doing here. So, well, I mean, if we go global, so F9 has made $681 million, almost 682. Right. So. But F9 was released earlier in the season when COVID wasn't so bad. Now True. with this new variant and stuff and it kind of picking back up in the States, it's Yeah, the Suicide Squad's at 118. What did Black Widow do? Global. 368. Well, 368, basically. Globally. Mm. So, yeah, you said 35. I'll, I'm going to go a little lower. I'm going to say 30. I may even go twenty. I would even go to twenty-five. I just don't. The problem is, I don't know if the audience is there. Nobody showed up for twenty forty-nine. There's no pandemic then. Yeah, you know, it's. I mean, it 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 made it basically what two sixty two sixty-one million in the box office for Blitter twenty forty-nine, which I think right. has a bigger built-in audience than Dune does. Right. Right. At least, I agree. at least in the general public consciousness. Yeah. You're right because. Big Dune fans were probably also big Blade Runner fans, so they're probably the same people. I could tell you, I'm if I'm I was a Blade Blade Runner guy. I have never read Dune. I actually started mm-hmm. reading the new book. I'm only a chapter in. I want to try and clear it clear it by the time the movie comes out. I don't think it's going to be even remotely possible. But oh, the original, the Frank, the first one. Yeah, yeah. Good but, luck. Uh, and he says he's gonna he'll make a sequel if it does well financially. <laughs> I got some bad news for you. <laughs> I don't listen. I want this thing to be huge. I'd love for this big epic sci-fi franchise helmed by Denis Villeneuve on the theater. Are you kidding me? I'd be all over that. Eat that stuff up. I'm just. I don't feel confident. 
All right, what do you got? Nor should you. All right, so the big story so far of the summer, unfortunately, is is pandemic related, and it's tough to kind of do these these segments because I feel like we're talking about the same stuff over and over and over again mm-hmm. because there's really only one thing that kind of dominates the cycle. But this one is interesting. So obviously, we talked about it. I think a couple of weeks ago, Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney for releasing the Black Widow in premier access and Mm -hmm. for losing a cut of the money. Now, part of me says, you know, poor you, you know, you only made $20 million instead of $50 million. I mean, you know, it's hard to feel sorry for, you know, the the royalty out there, but at the same time, you can see that she's maybe got an issue, maybe got a point um, because it became pirated so quickly. So Chris, what are the odds that Scarlett Johansson actually wins her lawsuit? Now let's, Set aside any talk of settlement or anything like that. But if this thing actually went to court, what do you think her odds are of actually winning? Oh, jeez, I don't know. I mean, my my gut would have been that they'll just settle and pay her off. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't. You know, I don't know. I would say, I'd say maybe fifty four percent. I'm not going to go high that high, but I think the odds are good. When I look at what happened with the NCAA, mm-hmm. and I mean, she had a contract. And they've in Hollywood's notorious for their, you know, um, behind the scenes machinations when they calculate things where they can say, oh, no, we didn't make any money after all, even though a film made like, you know, a billion dollars. Right. The way they uh, do all the accounting with that stuff. I think there's one famous case. I'm blanking on what it is now where a guy just won his lawsuit like a year or so ago about some movie that was like 10 years old or something that. Yeah. It's not even, I know the most famous one that I heard of is Lucasfilms and now Disney has been saying that star Wars is technically not profitable. So they haven't like paid royalties to people like David Prowse. Like he sees like no money from, from star Wars. That's just crazy. So I'll, I'll push over a little bit and I support the lawsuit. I know it's, she's, super rich and is not going to have to worry about her or her kids or her grandkids or great grandkids. will never have to worry about anything in their lives, but it's her labor. They made a contract and I think they violated the terms of that contract. And if they're, they should at least buy her out in some capacity. So yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't think, I guess it really all depends on the judge. I would say, Oh, sure. I would say Forty-five percent chance that she wins. I don't. I'm not as confident that she actually wins this because, obviously, you know, depending on where they're doing it, the the language of the contract, it's not explicit. And what is there is more in Disney's favor. It just says that they'll give her a wide theatrical release. It didn't say it would be an exclusive theatrical release, and that's what they're going to argue. So I think you know. Depending on where they do it, you know, the state that it's in and the judge they get, it's, I think the contract language in and of itself is in her favor. Now, I think this will change contract negotiations going mm. forward. They may stop asking for profit and maybe get smart and actually say, we want a point of revenue, which is what these people, that's why they're saying, that's what that's what they're reporting the money earned as, is revenue, not profit. So, yeah, we'll see. And honestly, I think it was a gamble with Disney. I think they had more faith in this movie, you know, because it was a known property. It's a big star. And they wanted to see what happened because Shang-Chi, they're not releasing Prime in Premiere Access. And I think 
that's the new experiment to say they're going to, but they are releasing it on a 45 day window onto free onto Disney plus after that mm -hmm. 45 days. So by mid October, you'll be able to at Disney plus subscribers will be able to watch Shang-Chi. So maybe they're testing the waters on that and a lesser known property to see which one went better. Cause I think they would prefer to do it the black widow way, but they were, I think they were banking on it, making more money. That's quite possible. And I think that's a fair point. I'm sure the contract language is skewed towards the studio. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, and I'm sure there's a way to figure out too, if there was any increase in Disney subscriptions with black widow or at least a premier, they know the premier access numbers. Mm -hmm. So they would, I guess, I don't know if they, they, they uh, listen, I think in the end, they're just going to settle is what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Um, but yeah, the, the, from what I understand, Disney's third quarter or their most recent earnings call, they, they exceeded projections on, on Disney plus subscribers. So maybe it worked. There you go. Matt, what are the odds? The, uh, next James Bond isn't white. I say relatively good. I'm gonna say sixty-five percent. Yeah, I think I think that now the bigger now the other question that also gets ticked around a lot, and I don't know how you could do this even if it was a code name, but the fact that maybe if they do go code name, if James Bond isn't male, I would say that's probably twenty like five percent. But yeah, I think I would they, I would definitely think it's a much smaller percentage if we do a gender swap on Bond. Yeah, yeah. But Having him be a non-white Bond, maybe he's, I don't know. I'm curious where they would go first, Hispanic, Black, Asian. I don't know, but I think the odds that the next James Bond is not a, you know, Aryan, Welsh kind of guy, I think is, I think the odds are high. I'm going to, well, you said what, 63? 65. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I wasn't that high. I was, I think that's what I was, I was reading mine. I was, I'm at 63% that the new James Bond, whoever replaces Craig, uh, will not be white. It's, it saddens me that I think, I think Idris Elba, I think he's just too old for yeah. the role at this point, I but so. I think yeah. he would have been great. He's got the presence, the size. He yeah. It's interesting good. because, you know, James Bond is such a, like a British icon thing to the point where, there was even some blowback uh, when they had Pierce Brosnan do it because wasn't wasn't one of them Irish or somebody they were considering was Irish and that was like a big no no because they mm -hmm. weren't you know a part of you know Scotland England Wales kind of thing so it's obviously well they had an Australian bond for one that's film. true one film they did um, but it's interesting I mean you know it's obviously there's just it's this kind of this this british character you know people i think really identify with it as a british country as a british character and britain's a relatively small place the united kingdom's a relatively small place and it's not super diverse um so i mean compared to places like the us so it's an, it's an interesting thing i could almost see it being like a south asian like a indian or pakistani um type of uh, ethnicity kind of thing. Um, somebody, I wouldn't say necessarily like Deb Patel, but somebody like in that vein, um, something like that over somebody like Idris Elba or something like that. I get an interesting. That's an interesting idea. The idea of a James Bond from a imperialist colonized British yeah. nation is uh, really an interesting idea. Mm. That would be fun. I would like to check that out. Mm. I don't think they have the guts to do it though. Oh, heavens no. Yeah. So, Oh man, our favorite film franchise of all time, Fast and Furious 10. 
Got a release date, 2023. What are the odds that this is Vin Diesel's last go around with this thing? I mean, he's he's getting up there. He's getting up there. He's really phoning it in. I can't stand Vin Diesel watching him mug his way through these things. What are the odds that if and when we get a Fast and Furious 11, they do a major overhaul of the cast? Like they basically jettison well, they, everybody in it. They shot the next two back to back. Oh, they right? did. Yeah, they're, they're doing them okay. back to back. So 10 and 11 is supposed to be the capper to the series, or at least this group. Okay. So I think that's it. Yeah, these final two films will be the end. Now, will Vin Diesel pop up in another film in like in 10 years as as the old wise guy or something? Or maybe he comes back as, you know, Dom's long lost twin brother as a villain. <laughs> really just do some crazy soap opera type moves. I wouldn't be surprised. But I think they'll. I think they're definitely going to reboot after this end, and uh, maybe they'll. It'll be like whoever Paul Walker's kid is, or something mm-hmm. like that, will take gotcha. over the franchise, and they'll they'll do the family franchise thing that way. And Vin will pop up as the old guy. Maybe he'll become the, you know, the mechanic expert who weaponizes the cars for everybody. You know, he's the old crusty guy in the corner who. Hands he'll, be out the, he'll be the. He'll be the Michael Rooker. Yeah, from the last one. There you go. But he, yeah, he'll be, he's going to be a presence in those films, I think, forever. Uh, why not? Just cash that check, Vin. So they will reboot after the 11th. So I would say like 80% they'll reboot. But is he done with the franchise? Absolutely not. No. Mm. Like 5% he doesn't come back in a Fast and Furious film after part 11. Yeah. But I guess the real question is, will they ask him to come back? If that's the real question. I guess it depends on how successful it is without him. And I can say one of the things, without hyperbole, one of the things I hate most about doing this show is that I have to give the Fast and Furious my money to go watch these things. <laughs> but I'm contributing to the box office take on these because I hate them so much. And we're supposed to be still getting another Hobbs and Shaw film, don't forget, too. So Yeah. Um, I guess to answer my own question then, I guess... Uh, me not being up to date on the Fast and Furious franchise. Sorry out there, Fasties. Um, I'll give it a... I guess if we're talking kind of side character cameo thing, i give it a 40% chance. My yeah. hope is that they'll just not ask him to come out here. No, he can't. He's the heart and soul of that franchise. <laughs> Which explains why there's so much wrong with that franchise. <laughs> All right, Matt. So the first stills for Clerk 3 have been released... Uh, Kevin Smith just tweeted out yesterday that they shot nine pages of the script. It's the most fun he's ever had on a set. It's the best work he's done. I expect him to say nothing less. But what are the odds, Matt, that Clerks 3 does revitalize Smith's career? So he's no longer doing these roadshow, let's get my family in a movie type of thing. But he actually becomes a prominent director as maybe he was once quoted as 20 years ago as the next Scorsese. Well, let's not go that far. But what are the odds yeah, he gets? <laughs> what are the odds he here he gets revitalized and becomes like a a major kind of director again, ish, where people are interested to see what he's doing next, and he gets big theatrical projects. Twenty percent. I think yeah. it's incredibly low. Um, I think Smith, especially his kind of view askew outtake or output, I should say. I think it peaked in the nineties, and a lot of those people. I hate to say it, Chris, because we're in that group. Those people have kind of aged out. Like, I don't think that there's a lot of pull from the younger generations to kind of see this stuff. Um, I think it's very of its time and stuff. And it's a different, it's certainly in a 
an aged voice. So we'll see. I don't, I think that I have high hopes that people that are in that kind of wheelhouse will enjoy it. I think his existing fans will hopefully enjoy it. I think it'll hopefully bring in some new fans, but if it's some kind of big cultural event, like Clark's the original was, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. I'm, I'm even lower. I'm at 18% that this is going to kind of reignite his mainstream career. I'm still looking forward to it. I think Clark's too is hilarious and really mm. works. Looking at that photo, the thing that disturbed me the most was not the aging of Dante and Randall or the, in the lack of aging of Rosario Dawson, mm-hmm. but Elias, the kid who played Elias from Clerks 2. It's like, man, how long ago was that? Was that 20 years ago, Clerks 2? I mean, Christ. I know, right? I know. I think Kevin Smith had a shot. And he took his best swing out of it as he could, and it did, didn't. It just didn't work out for him as far as becoming a big mainstream director. I mean, I think Cop Out and I think Zach and Mary make a porno were his two big efforts to try and bring in a wider audience, and neither one of them were particularly successful. I still don't understand what happened with Zach and Mary. I think that it's, that film really works. I think it's very I, funny, I, very smart, very clever. I liked Zach and Mary a lot too. Now I'm behind on, on uh, screen run. So I haven't listened to that episode. So I, I need to catch up with it to see what you guys have to say about it. But I remember, yeah, I like Zach and Mary quite a bit. I thought it was a good return to form for him. Yeah. I don't know what happened. All right. You got another one for me. So one of the Wayans idiots was talking about, uh, you know, upcoming projects. People were asking him questions and I don't, I don't know why. Um, I think it was Marlon. And he talked about, the abomination that is white chicks. And he said that now is the time for white chicks too. So what are the odds that some executive loses his mind and makes a white chicks too? Well, you know, I don't, so I have never seen white chicks. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Okay. The concept of it, the whole thing just was abhorrent to me. I just did something about it. It just looked horrible. So, it cost 37 to make, made 113 yeah. <laughs> for a comedy that's, let's see, 15% in a Rotten Tomatoes. Interesting. Uh, okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 65% for White Chicks too. Oh, really? Wow. I wouldn't be surprised that somebody would say, why not? Let's throw some money at this. There's such a desire for content with all these services. Uh, I would not be surprised to see White Chicks 2 show up on Paramount Plus or something like that in the next three years. You know what? That's a good point. I was going to say it was much lower because I've never seen White Chicks in its entirety. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I know it certainly by reputation. And even just looking at those uncanny valley, just inhuman costumes that they were wearing in those in that thing... Um, but you're right. I think, I think some streaming service is gonna is gonna bankroll this thing like they do with all their Adam Sandler movies that are coming out now. So God, now I've talked myself into from like it went from like a a twenty percent chance to like maybe like a seventy percent chance if it actually ends up being on like some streaming service. I weep there for the go. future. That's that's awful. I figured out my issue with Shogun Assassin and Zatochi. What's that? So, Tomisubara Wakayama, who plays Ito, is the brother of Shintaro Katsu. Oh, okay. There you go. 
who is Zatoshi. So there you go, folks. That's where I got my, I misread it again. I'm going to chalk that up to the uh, medication. Fair enough. Works for me. Good times. All right, man. I guess that's it for what are the odds this week? I do have one more, so I'll just throw it at you real fast. Okay. Because I'm sure we'll forget it at some point. Okay. Jim Shooter, uh, famed Marvel editor and writer for years, especially in my youth, uh, announced at the Orlando Megacon, I believe it is, that Marvel has come to him and offered to pay him $10,000 for a treatment, or not treatment so much, but as a um, for a novelization of Secret Wars. Typically, they would pay $5,000 for such a thing, but they offered him ten. He asked him, are you guys making a Secret Wars movie? And they said, I can't tell you that. And Shooter says, well, you just did. <laughs> so are they making a Secret Wars movie? What are the odds? Uh, I don't want to sound overconfident, but 98%. I think the introduction of the <laughs> scrolls in in Captain Marvel, coupled with this whole multiverse thing that they're doing, um, and they need to bring in the Fantastic Four, and they need to bring in the X-Men somehow, I think Secret Wars is the way to do it. I think they do a kind of a scroll slash uh, multiverse thing with this uh, for a really complicated phase four. See, but there's no scrolls in the original Secret Wars. Then what am I thinking of? Secret Invasion? I'm thinking of Secret Invasion. Yeah, Secret Sorry, Wars yeah. is the one that the whole series that's the 12 issues that was basically just made for the Mattel comic, for the mm -hmm. Mattel toys right. toy line. Mm -hmm. Where the Beyonder and the Elgar yeah. Battle World. Yeah, right. And where Spider-Man gets his suit. Black, his black costume. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, the big, that's the big claim to fame for Secret Wars. Okay, Sorry, you're right. I was getting confused with Secret Invasion. So, But I, I stand by what I said. I think... I think we're still going to get a, a, it's almost guaranteed we're going to get a Secret Wars thing. And I think that's probably the next big thing that they're working towards. I can't tell you. I would go, I'll go up 75% on that myself. I think, because I think it makes a lot of sense. You can get a lot of the big characters in there. It is the next, I think, thing that could measure up to an Infinity War is mm -hmm. to have all these heroes and all these villains facing off. Uh, I think is the way to go for that entirely. So, and because Kang's in Secret Wars, Doctor Doom's in there. There, and I mean everybody, almost all your heavy hitters are in that. Right. So, uh, I'll have to see if that ends up happening. In the meantime, what do you think? What are the odds of these events happening? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Next week in the big show, we're not sure. There are three films being released theatrically. Maybe we'll stay home. Maybe we'll go check them out. I have no idea what's going to happen, but our Samurai Marathon continues with Ugetsu. Uh, Ugetsu, is it is that on Criterion? I don't even know. I got to do my research on that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think there's such a, an expanse of Samurai movies on Criterion. I think all of these were on Criterion. That's good. That makes things uh, pretty easy then. So, uh, and that's it. And then we were supposed to do five best 90s horror films to go along with Candyman. So we're going to have to pocket that, I think, for when Candyman yeah. actually does come out. So we'll have a, mm -hmm. a different final segment for that. In the meantime, check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help other people find the show and we'll read it on the air. And uh, that's it, Matt. Hopefully I will be better <laughs> next week. Ugh, I cannot shake this cold. I'm just glad I didn't have a COVID breakthrough case, thank God. Which reminds me, folks, make sure you get your butts vaccinated. I love you. I don't want to lose you. Take care of yourselves, and uh, we'll see you all soon.
Hey, Faco. We like to call it interspecies erotica. <laughs> <laughs>